Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, July 27th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I'm back behind the mic after a week off. I did post a pre-recorded show last week, so I guess from your point of view, it was pretty seamless. But from my perspective, it seems like I was gone for quite a while. If you didn't catch last week's podcast, do check it out. I did something a little bit different. I took apart a dumb column by a U.S. news reporter who was claiming that gold is emphatically a bad investment. So it was a little bit unscripted, and I think you might like it, a little change of pace. As far as the gold news goes, well, I feel like I didn't miss a beat. I'm starting to feel like a broken record, actually. Gold is down. The dollar is up. As I record this podcast, gold is trading at 1224.10, silver is at 15.55, and the silver-gold ratio stands at 78.94. One article I read this morning described that gold market is choppy and noted that it's hovering around 2018 lows. I think choppy is pretty accurate. Dollar strength continues to be the driving force behind the price of gold. Yesterday, the dollar gained 0.4% against a basket of six major currencies coming in at 94.77. That's near a one-year high. The greenback gained ground after European Central Bank President Mario Draghi announced the Central Bank's governing committee doesn't expect to raise interest rates until at least the summer of 2019. That drug down the euro and boosted the dollar. The ECB interest rate is still at zero. Draghi said the bank does plan to start cutting back on its bond purchasing program in September and end it in December. I'm skeptical of all of this dollar strength. Peter Schiff just called it a bull rally in a bear market, and he doesn't expect it to last. And I agree with him. The dynamics just aren't there. The conventional wisdom is that rising rates are good for the dollar. But as Peter pointed out in his podcast this week, you have to consider why interest rates are rising. There's a waning demand for U.S. Treasuries in the face of exploding supply. This dovetails with the question I asked earlier this year. Who is going to buy all of this U.S. government debt? The U.S. Treasury Department plans to auction off around $1.4 trillion in Treasuries this year, and it won't end there. The department expects that pace of borrowing to continue over the next several years. The Chinese aren't buying. The Japanese aren't buying. The Fed isn't buying either. In fact, the Fed is allegedly selling bonds to shrink its balance sheet. That means bond prices have to drop and yields need to rise in order to entice people to buy all of this debt. Higher interest rates are not good news in an economy built on debt. As rates go up, obviously it's going to cost more and more just to service all of the debt. Just this week, the U.S. Treasury Department auctioned off $35 billion of two-year government notes at the highest yield since 2008. According to data released by the Treasury Department, the yield on the newly minted two-year bonds came in at 2.657%. And consider this. While they are creeping up, bond yields aren't particularly high, historically speaking. If the interest rate on Treasury debt stood at 6.2% as it did in the year 2000, the annual interest payment on the current debt would nearly triple to $1.3 trillion. No wonder President Trump said late last week that he's, quote, not thrilled with the central bank's push to raise rates. The U.S. government simply can't afford anything approaching a normal interest rate environment. Growing debt coupled with soaring interest payments creates a vicious, upwardly spiraling cycle. As debt grows, it costs more money to service the debt. That requires more borrowing, adding to the pile of debt. 
The U.S. government is already laboring under crushing interest payments. As we reported last month, at the current trajectory, the cost of paying the annual interest on the U.S. debt will equal the annual cost of Social Security within 30 years. All of this is bearish for the U.S. economy, which relies on a constant flow of cheap money. So you make that cheap money less cheap, that's going to undermine the economy. We also have the issue of rising inflation. That's also bad for the dollar by definition because the dollar is losing purchasing power. And if your currency is losing purchasing power, it's less valuable. Interestingly, the International Monetary Fund dissed the dollar this week. The IMF said the dollar is overvalued and nearly half of global current account balances are now excessive. That adds to the growth risk and trade tensions. The report said IMF staff assessed the U.S. dollar again to be overvalued compared to levels implied by medium-term fundamentals by about 8% to 16%. Meanwhile, the IMF said the Chinese yuan is actually in line with fundamentals. So even the ultimate mainstream financial institution is skeptical of this dollar strength. Nobody's really listening, though. Every day we keep hearing about how great the U.S. economy is. We have this magnificent recovery. But here's the thing. It's all built on debt, and it's not just government debt. According to a report that came out in Reuters this week, the bottom 60% of American income earners accounted for most of the rise in spending over the past two years, even as their finances worsened. The data shows that the rise in median expenditures has outpaced before-tax income for the lower 40% of earners in the five years to mid-2017. In other words, poor and middle-class Americans are driving the U.S. economy by spending more than they earn. So how is this even possible? Well, Americans are dipping into savings, and they're running up their credit cards to buy stuff. Data on American indebtedness bears this out. Total household debt hit a record $13 trillion in 2017, eclipsing levels seen on the eve of the Great Recession. Americans have been burning up credit cards. Revolving debt grew by $26 billion in the fourth quarter of 2017 alone, a 3.2% increase. Americans have run up a nearly $1 trillion credit card tab. Meanwhile, flows into serious delinquency have increased steadily since the third quarter of 2016, and subprime credit card delinquency rates have risen above levels we saw during the financial crisis. Meanwhile, average savings have plunged to their lowest level since 2005, the height of the last bubble. These are all signs of stressed American consumers, the same consumers who are driving the much ballyhooed economic recovery. As economist Stephen Gallagher put it, quote, they are taking on debt that they can't repay. A drop in savings and rise in delinquencies mean you can't support the overall spending, end quote. Simply put, the roaring American economy is built on the backs of poor and middle-class borrowing. It doesn't take a PhD in economics to recognize this is not sustainable. And of course, all of this was predictable. This is what you get when you drive an economy with monetary policy. After the 2008 crash, the Federal Reserve pushed interest rates to zero and launched successive rounds of quantitative easing. The goal was to stimulate the economy. The idea is to incentivize businesses and individuals to borrow cheap money and then spend it into the economy. This, quote, primes the pump, and it gets the economy back on track, or so the theory goes. And it works, at least for a while. Bubbles inflate, and everything looks great. That is until the bubbles start to pop. 
This usually happens when the Fed starts to normalize interest rates. The partiers don't like it when the host takes away the easy money punch bowl. As the party goers sober up, they start to see the misallocation of resources caused by all of the cheap money, things collapse, and the cycle starts all over again. This is exactly what happened leading up to 2008. After the dot-com crash, the Fed pushed rates down, the party revved up again, and easy money flowed into the housing market. Then the bubble burst, and we went through the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. And here we are again. There is a gold lining in all of this, though. The strength of the dollar, however temporary, has pushed the price of gold down. That means we basically have gold on sale right now. Smart shoppers look for bargains, and right now gold is a bargain. If you're a smart shopper, you're going to want to take advantage of this. This week, we kicked off an incredible exclusive sale on the limited edition Royal Canadian Mint Call of the Wild Golden Eagle 1-ounce bullion coin. This is an opportunity for you to own beautiful collectible gold coins at bullion prices. The World Gold Council just released a report outlining three macro trends that look really good for gold in the second half of 2018. The report noted that gold's current price range may offer an attractive entry level for investors. In other words, this is gold on sale, and like I said, smart shoppers shop sales. So call 1-888-GOLD-160 today and talk to one of Shift Gold's precious metal specialists. They can give you more information on this fantastic sale. Well, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more, and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes for free. There's a link on our show notes page. Thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you again next week.